podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's John Gibbons for the Anfield Wrap, and I'm joined firstly by Neil Atkinson um, to sort of introduce this lower league show because, uh, Neil, we've decided to put this one on for free. Yeah, uh, it's we do this lower league show about once every two or three weeks, and it's just to sort of let people know what's happening up and down the country. And the, the nice version of it is you find out who's in the playoff spots of the championship and have a laugh. The less nice version is this one, which has been entitled Clubs in Crisis. And the reason why is because there is a big problem uh, at the minute with with football clubs up and down the country uh, through the EFL. And I'm really pleased that we've had the opportunity to speak to some good people. You've had the opportunity to speak to some good people. And, you know, it's it's important to realise the, the pyramid matters and what's going on matters. And what's going on is, is frankly, a little bit scary at this point. There's a lot of clubs who are ve- either in crisis or very close to it. Yeah, it, it does all feel very close and it sort of feels that it could happen to any club at, at any time. And that's the kind of the scary thing. And that's what must be the frustrating thing or frustrating is not even the word kind of petrifying thing for for, for supporters in that you you, know, you can go from a, a well-run club to a not well-run club kind of either overnight or just by a sale or or just by kind of you know a relegation and and also the fact that as supporters there's very little you can do and you feel like you want to be able to influence and you feel like well if I turn up and I support my team and I and you know you buy, buy me golden goal and buy me program and, and all and all that and, and try and bring people along I can I can sort of help in terms of the you know the, the positive running of the football club whereas quite often it's, it's just completely taken out of your hands and then it's left to supporters to kind of rally around and fundraise and try and sort these issues out. Yeah I think that's the it's the left, left to supporters part and I think that that's the bit which I think needs looking at and this is part of my you know I'm I am a very boring person and my hobby horse at the moment is that the entirety of football needs needs looking at you know there's not an issue barely that doesn't involve Ironically enough, I'd say right the way up and down the pyramid, the twenty-two, the twenty-two people running up and down the the, the pitch. Apart from them, I think there's barely a, a bit of football that couldn't do with getting looked at. And mm. and you're in a situation. Obviously, I know that the politicians have currently got a lot to do in different ways, but there is a there is, this is a problem, and it is something that is affecting people's lives. And it should not come down to football supporters, as we've seen it do in our recent history. It should not come down to football supporters to have to sort so much of this stuff out. And that's where you you it does feel as though it's it's you. You know the, the game, the way the game's been run uh, across decades. It is not a new problem. The way the game's been run across decades has led to where we currently are. And I think that there needs to be urgent action. And that's not just where football clubs are concerned. You can do that on, you know, what what a recent issue: safe stands in three pm kickoffs, drinking inside to the pitch. You name an issue, and almost every single issue that's debatable, you know, could be debated at length and get a number of different views. In. And my point is that you know the game's got itself into this position where, as I say, apart from literally the men and women who run round on the pitch and play, uh, we've got a real, real issue at almost every single aspect around legislation, around ownership, around governance, all of it's problematic. Um, as Neil says, it's often more cheery than this uh, <laughs> than this episode. Um, it's it is it is kind of worth listening to just to just to see how long it takes me to bring up Ryan Lowe. To be honest with you, but um, but yeah, it is it is it is a really good show. So if you subscribe to the Anfield Rapper, you don't normally listen to the Lower League Show. Hopefully, this gives you a bit of a taste, and hopefully, you do kind of stick with us throughout the season. If you don't subscribe, this is a good example of things we do outside of the Liverpool bubble. So obviously, we're doing everything you could possibly want to talk about regarding Liverpool Football Club. But we are looking wider than that as well and speaking to fans up and down the country who support other teams as part of that. So, yeah, this is an example of a lower league show. Hope you enjoy it, and thanks a lot to all the callers who made it happen. And it's another lower league show, and it's John Gibbons hosting this week. Welcome, and, well, it's a bit of a dark one, I'm afraid. There's not many laughs. We're talking to um, supporters and... 
people who are, who are at the moment worried about their, their football clubs um, soon. Uh, we've got James Fifth MP for Berry North, who's talking about the situation, uh, well, ongoing situation going on at Berry FC. But first of all, we've got Dana Morris, who has been on before. He's the presenter of the Wanderer podcast to give us a bit of an update about what's going on at Bolton. And Daryl, it's, it, it's not great, basically. Um, Bolton have had to cancel their next game. They, they, they can't fulfil the fixture because they're worried about the welfare of young players. John, it's abysmal is what it is. It's absolutely abysmal, yeah. Um, and it's deeply, deeply frustrating. So that's the, the sort of uh, juncture that we find ourselves in now. Um, we were supposed to play, as we speak, Tuesday again, tonight against Doncaster. The lads who are not... I mean, they, they are literal kids. I mean, they're 16, 17, 18-year-olds um, who've been patching together our squad because our the majority of our senior players, bar I think two or three as it stands now, walked away from the club as they were entitled to do so, having not been paid and been put through the mill. Um, they were patching together our squad. They've played a couple of games in the last few days alone. We had a Tuesday, we had a Saturday game, a Tuesday game, another Saturday game, and now a Tuesday game again. And that's the one that the uh, administrators, who are technically currently in charge of the football club, have decided would be a bridge too far for them. And that's not just protecting them um, against injury in that game or, or them being too tired or fatigue or whatever. I mean, that's protecting them against potentially destroying their careers yeah. for the sake of patching together a football, a team for Bolton Wanderers to play. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, as we stand, as we sit here now, um, the complications continue. There are legal challenges from various parties. Uh, football ventures who are the preferred bidder uh, to buy the club are, uh, we are told, on the line, about to get it over the line. But some legal challenges last week from uh, Lawrence Bassini, which is a name you might have heard uh, regularly surrounding Bolton Wanderers, former Watford owner. Uh, he challenged our former owner, Ken Anderson, um, that, he, that Ken Anderson had agreed to sell the club to him and that, that Lawrence Bassini was able to do so and that he hadn't been given a fair hearing by the administrators when he also tried to buy the club out of administration. So that held the process up and uh, that meant that Football Ventures then had to go back and have a look at some contracts and um, and, and, and have a look at some of the, the, the T's and the I's that were previously crossed and dotted. Um, and also, we have the issue of the hotel. So one of the real right. problems for Bolton Wanderers is that we, we have the football club as one entity and the hotel that's attached, Bolton White's Hotel, is a separate entity and a separate right. business, separately in administration and going through a separate sale process. Right. And so that's adding all, all sorts of complications um, as well. So, yeah, we find ourselves in a difficult at a difficult point. Yeah, it's... I mean, the first, one of the frustrating things must be that, as you say, that there are sort of willing buyers if you... if you know, seem to be there. It's just that they can't get it over the line. And I did notice that back in July, you know, the sale was meant to be completed within a week. And obviously it's a, it's a month kind of on from that really. And I know the manager spoke out and he's frustrated and it just seems to be a case of, well, if there's people who, who want to take on the football club and, you know, this is the situation where they need to buy it, you know, it must be frustrating that it, it, it doesn't seem to be, you know, between them to be able to find the solution. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we have to hold on to, John, as frustrated as we all, all are, and I am deeply frustrated, I'm sick of talking about it, I'm yeah. sick of going over these, I'm sick of pouring over all, all these details, you know, I'm sick of essentially hosting a business podcast as opposed <laughs> to a football podcast. Um, one thing we have to remember is business is complex. It's really, really difficult. We are working on football timeframes here, i.e. the football club goes into administration in May and the football season starts at the beginning of August. For context, it took Wigan over a year to go through this exact same process, right. and that was a, that was a willing seller in the in the Whelan family, and a willing buyer 
in the the group that took on the football club uh, from the from from Dave Whelan and family. So you know that is the complexity here. It's 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 a it's it's a process that can take months and months and years. And we were kind of hoping we'd be able to wrap it all up so we could get get cracking at the start of the season. That's not the way that these things work. And just to go back to the football club, and, and you know another one of the issues. You, know, you mentioned Lawrence Bassini there and all the other parties that are involved. You know clearly one of the other issues has been that Ken Anderson, our previous owner, has been extremely difficult to work with. So while you say there are, in, there, are, there, are, there are willing buyers, there are willing buyers, this Football Ventures Consortium um, that has taken on several different guises over the last couple of months and the last 12 months or so, um, different investors and different people um, making up that consortium. They did want to buy the club solvent. They wanted to buy the club from Ken Anderson without it going into administration. One piece of detail that we learnt from the court case that Lawrence Bassini brought about last week was that Ken Anderson, having agreed to sell the club to Lawrence Bassini for a pound, then, further down the line, demanded a payment of £5 million. So, that's interesting, because we'd heard rumours that Ken Anderson was holding up the process, both when he was trying to sell the club initially, when it was solvent, and since it's gone into administration, because he's a secured creditor. That means that whilst he owns, owns the club and has owned the club, when the club went into administration, he was technically due some money, right? So he was the, the money that he pumped into the club was done in the form of a loan that he was guaranteed to get back when the club went into administration, and that he hasn't been playing ball um, on that front either. So that's clearly delayed the process. And so while there are willing buyers, I think we all have to suspend our football our desire to get on with the season and to have the football club and you know all that sort of stuff to to realize that this process is complicated deeply deeply complicated now the problem with that and the problem with kind of taking a step back and taking a breath and suspending your desire to get this over the line as quickly as possible is that we end up in situations like this three senior players in the squad three or four at a max i think three senior players two of which are goalkeepers, by the way. Uh, so we've we only played one of them. So, so that's well, a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, you know, pat, squad being patched together, games being missed. We currently have a 12-point deduction. It's actually now an 11-point deduction after we've got a draw against Coventry. But we've got an 11-point deduction to start the season. We'll almost certainly get a point deduction for missing a game against Brentford late last season and missing this game now against Doncaster. Yeah. The pressure piles on. And let me tell you, John, if we get relegated from League One, that's a former European club who are hanging on the edge of the cliff out of the Football League. That cannot be understated how serious that is. It is, and I'm glad you mentioned sort of that point about 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 Bottom Wanderers and what a sort of big club it is, because people sort of I'm aware we've got listeners around the world who who you know will be aware of of maybe kind of remember Bolton Wanderers in the 2000s under Big Sam and big names like JJ Kocher and stuff like that. But that's just kind of like a a small part in Bolton's illustrious history, isn't it? It's one of the oldest football clubs. In the country, it was a founder member of the football league. You know, four times FA Cup winners and all this, and it's 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 not just that kind of that period in the two thousands that, that a lot of us remember with, with you know those those kind of aging superstars. There's it's 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 a it's a football club that, that's steeped in history. It's steeped in the community and in Bolton, and and the fact that you know it, it's in this situation through no fault of the fans is what well, I mean. It's scandalous, really. It is scandalous. It's absolutely scandalous. Yeah, and I think that when the dust settles on this, John. Um, I will certainly be making a point of doing as much digging and as much much sort of investigative journalism as we can to try to find out who and why 
who's responsible and why this has happened. And I think we have our suspicions and there's certainly information out there in the public domain now, John, that leads yeah. us to draw certain conclusions about who that is. But we have to have to have to make sure that that person is held to account. And you're dead right. I mean, we are a founder member of the Football League. Uh, we are, I mean, that, that period in the 2000s with JJ Kocha and Yuri Jokaev and uh, latterly Nicholas Anelka and, you know, some bit and Hierro yeah. and Campo and some big names, international stars who were playing for Bolton Wanderers. I mean, I remember walking up the steps at the Allianz Arena in Munich to watch Bolton Wanderers draw 2-2 with Bayern Munich in the European Cup. I mean, that is, that's the Bolton Wanderers that I grew up with. Um, and then, and as you say, previous to that, uh, several times FA Cup winner and founder member of the Football League. Um, we are not a negligible entity. We are a part of the fabric of football. And yeah. it says something. It says something about how flawed the business is, how flawed the ecosystem is, if a, such an integral part of that ecosystem can be left to die in this way, can be taken, can be abused, can be beaten, can be manipulated by certain characters and can be allowed uh, to fall away. And I think that the business as football is absolutely rotten. I think we have to acknowledge that. And, the, and, and when you have a rotten business, you attract rotten business people who will come and will try to exploit it. And I think that's absolutely the situation that we find ourselves in. And I know you're going to speak to my mate James, who's, um, who's the MP for Bury North, yeah. um, who is knee deep in, the, in, in exactly the same situation just down the road in Bury. And I think, you know, if we are going to find any light at the end of this tunnel, I know that this is something that James is campaigning hard for and will be taking on once we both get ourselves um, out of the immediate danger that we're currently in. We need better regulation. We need a stronger EFL. We need to be we need to be uh, ensuring that our football clubs are in the hands of strong and, stu and sturdy custodians who have the interests of that club, of the league, and of the town at, at, at heart. Because the ecosystem is absolutely relies on it. I mean, the economy in Bolton absolutely relies on it. You know, a football club going into administration might be a bit of a pain in the arse for us on a, on a Saturday afternoon when we're not getting the football that we want. But for other businesses in the town, it's absolutely critical. They have contracts um, and obligations that Bolton Wanderers have entered into that mean that as businesses, they are suffering. Now, that's, that's people's lives. That's potential job losses. That's potential losses of career. That is abs that's, that's people not being able to put food on, their, on, the, on the table and clothe their children. It's absolutely critical that we start to get this right and that we fix football. And it's it's exhausting as well for, for people like yourself, Daryl, who, who have to invest in these things. You you mentioned just then that you feel like you're running a business podcast rather than a football one now. And I yeah. remember under the dark days of Hicks and Gillette when we were all having to sort of, sort of become experts and you know in in, in, in finance and, and takeovers and, and and different things and stuff. And it's stuff that you just don't want to be doing. Football's meant to be escape. Football's meant to think you do on a Saturday or a Sunday when you go and support the team. And instead, you know, you're talking now about you know things you're going to have to do even when this is over to kind of ensure this doesn't happen and it shouldn't mm. be up to us you know we're the ones who you know it's meant to be a hobby for well that's exactly it oh my word you've absolutely you've not you've absolutely hit the nail on the head it, it, it's supposed to be a hobby it's supposed to, you know i got into this 
for, for for enjoyment you know yeah. i got into this and, and people do you know people people um want to put their money into it and they want to get together with their mates on a saturday afternoon and escape from the world and you know get into the nitty-gritty of the facts and the figures and who's playing and who's not playing and you know and, and tactics and all that sort of stuff i can't remember the last time i talked about tactics yeah. on a football podcast and um, and that's desperately sad and look don't get me wrong i actually quite enjoy business i quite enjoy the ins and outs of it i quite enjoy you know the rough and tumble but but not in this way not in a way that means that people at my town and my club are being exploited that is deeply 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 saddening deeply saddening Indeed, a huge thanks to Daryl for joining us. Hopefully next time he comes on, we can talk about the football and maybe even a successful Bolton Wanderers team, who knows. But in the meantime, yeah, thanks again to Daryl. And uh, as he trailed, there we are now uh, across Lancashire to go and speak to James about what the situation is at Berry. And I'm now joined on the telephone by James Frith, MP for Berry North, who's very kindly joined me on holiday uh, on his way to a, a very serious uh, father's football match. So thanks a lot for, for kind of taking the time out of your, of your trip, James. But it's... It's obviously yeah. something that you're keen for more people, you know, to know about and and, and to kind of to, to, to raise awareness of what's going on at Berry, really. If you can just if you don't mind, just, just fill us in on, on, on the latest developments in Berry and, and just how kind of serious it is really. No, well it's good to be here and talking to you all. Um look what is facing Berry is facing a great deal of lower league clubs, sadly. I think we're the worst of the lot at the moment um, with the current ownership exploiting a situation that was started by the previous owner, but one in which he's set to benefit from, um, provided he does sell, which he promised to do. Uh, I wrote to the EFL chair yesterday, um, basically asking for more time to facilitate a sale. Um, I've been liaising with one interested party um, whilst I'm vouching for no one what we need in this instance, is to save life uh, of the football club by extending that life. And so I've asked for, for a two-week extension or suspension of the expulsion order uh, in order for that to be possible. And have you had any feedback? I mean, that letter's available on your Twitter, isn't it? If you, if you go onto uh, James Fliff's Twitter, you can, you can see the, the full letter that James has sent to the AFL. Have you had any response in terms of, you know, come back, uh, whether they're going to look into that? Yeah, so the EFL confirmed last night that they would be discussing it at today's board meeting. Uh, so I would hope that uh, I get some form of acknowledgement beyond that um, today or tomorrow. Clearly, time is of the essence with Friday's deadline looming. Um, and what I've actually asked is for an extension in the event no sale has been achieved by Friday, which doesn't look likely. Um, and so, uh, you know, whether they agree to all of that, whether they build on that, whether they do better than that, that's for them to determine. But I, as you say, I've, I've posted the letter to my social uh, socials and, and people can see that in full. But in that, I make the claim, uh, basically, it's such a complex and underhand uh, operation going on at Berry Football Club um, with the owner that that's going to take some time to uh, be assessed by interested parties and that we shouldn't, we don't expect to be bailed out, but we don't either expect to be timed out just because of protocol. Um, and we risk being sacrificed on the altar of example, which is to say the EFL have found sort of Johnny come lately that they've got due diligence and an obligation for fit and proper person tests to be applied and adhered to. Well, that wasn't the case in the case of Steve Dale. He was presented as the new owner by the immediate past owner mid-season. The EFL gave a a kind of nod and a wink just to carry on as standard and have now taken that um, 
uh, test seriously enough to warrant us, um, uh, to prohibit us rather from starting the new season. And at this moment in time, we're, we're three days, four days from, from you know, not existing as a club. And, and and that'd be awful, wouldn't it, if, if Betty were to go out of existence? I mean, I mean, all football clubs are part of the community, for, but you know, for people who maybe listen abroad and and kind of don't don't realise the, the rich history of Berry. I mean, it's it's older than Liverpool Football Club. It was established in eighteen eighty five. They played at, at the same ground throughout that time, which is which is kind of remarkable, really. And it's a it's 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 a football club that obviously means so much to that community and, and so much to the people who who go and watch it and um, um, people may have seen the, the video of, of Kenny that went viral and Kenny was someone who's, who's been watching for, for 70 years but he's just one person who's a, who's a story of, of, of just one individual of, of many who this football club kind of means so much to and are in danger of losing it through no fault of their own. Exactly right and you know this is these things always resonate because they speak to bigger issues or bigger principles or what our values are and actually the principle of this is that Football does belong to everyone. Should not be uh, sort of consolidated to the to the to the few or the elite few who see it as sort of brutal financial speculation and seeing what they can make from it rather than the difference they can make to the football or the football club. And you know that's why we've had we've been inundated with support from rival clubs because they recognise that it could be them next. Um, <coughs> but then also we're we're in a bit of a fight here on the principle of what we want from lower league football. Um, towns like Bury, as you say, rich in history, poor on prospects now, the, the boardroom um, uh, issues and the ownership. But 134 years of English football league history does not deserve just to be lost on, on a whim um, uh, following some pretty shocking behaviour from both the uh, last two owners, current owner and immediate past owner, and also the administrator. So I'm I'm dealing with this the, the issue in hand, but I'm also speaking to, and, and this will speak well to your listeners, um, about about the, the principle of a, a national regulator of football um, that ensures that the fit and proper person test isn't a sort of click-down menu tick-box exercise, but actually we get the right people in charge of our football clubs running them, um, which is about success on the pitch, of course, and about promotion, about winning silverware. It's just about lasting. It's just about staying power. It's just about sustainability. Um, and we've got an owner at the moment who's touring the media studios, giving barbed barb attacks on players and staff alike um, when he should be relinquishing control of the club and uh, putting every bit of effort in, into that. So I hope that, that the efforts to uh, save Bury Football Club, not just mine, it's a huge wider movement um, to, to, to achieve this, it does capture the imagination and hearts of, of other football fans, but also sharpens the focus uh, of the EFL and their considerations or their deliberations about what to do next. Because, you know, if I would just say this, whatever happens with Barry Football Club, myself and my parliamentary colleagues will review this in full and give our assessment, our analysis in full. Um, and if, if the EFL have been found um, to have not done the right thing despite all the effort here... Um, and sort of played fast and loose, essentially, with the existence of, of one of the oldest football clubs in the land. Then that won't go down. That won't go down well in the history books. But nor nor, nor will it um, uh, find agreement with the wider football public, who do expect uh, the administrators of the game to understand the, the passion and the love of the game, and not just the sort of processes and protocols, and kind of agree with the latest, richest. 
uh, mad as it often is in football to own a football club, um, actually to fall on the side of, of fans who, who sustain these clubs. But for the fans of Bury, but for Shaker's fans, Bury wouldn't exist from, from sort of some 10 years ago when the last rescue mission was, um, was, was launched. So, you know, look, I hope, we, I hope we, our efforts are successful and the next 72 hours are crucial. Yeah, um, you mentioned sort of your support from other clubs and there's an article of a, of a uh, sorry, read this morning uh, from Harry Winter who talked about, um, you know, he writes really well on stuff like this, Henry, but he talked about the fact that he was actually a Sheffield Wednesday fan who first set up, you know, an, an online kind of, you know, GoFundMe type type thing where, where people could kind of support yep. and support at the moment has come in from supporters of 26 different clubs has been added up and, you know, he talks about, you know, the, the line he uses is if you tolerate this, then your club could be next and I think a lot of us you know, that resonates with really is that, you know, it's it's not just Betty, obviously, at the moment. Betty, as you say, you're in the most precarious position, but Bolton Wanderers are going through something similar. And for lots of our football clubs, it feels like you've only ever, you know, a bad few months or, 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 or an ownership swap away away from, you know, kind of fighting for yeah, existence. Yeah. And, that, and that can't be yeah. right, can it? And that's what, we, you know, you're talking about is the idea that protecting football clubs from bad decisions of, of people who, who maybe don't have the best interest in heart. Well, you're right. So one of the things I refer to in, in the, the letter is uh, a pre-qualification test um, for the due diligence. So, <laughs> excuse me, if, if, um, if actually rather than the EFL being presented with, oh, I've sold the club and this is the new owner, which is what happened with Barry mid-season last year, um, people should have to go through some level of pre-qualification to even be considered for to become owners of a football club. Now, that can be a quite light touch. It doesn't have to be too onerous, but they shouldn't be completely alien. Um, you know, the owner himself has told me, and you absolutely you said it in less polite terms, he had absolutely no idea who Barry a football club were until he owned them. And that's yeah. just, you know, that's not right. There's got to be a kind of proof of, not just proof of funds, but proof of, of care, really, or proof of concern. Um, and in this case, you know, they've, they've failed on all, all, on all tests, including the, the, the kind of smell test that politicians will refer to. Um, you know, what, how does it feel? How does it sound to the average man or woman in the street? And it, it, it absolutely stinks, to be honest. I mean, the, the sad thing about all this is that, well, one of the sad things about all this is it was all looking so good. I mean, last season under Ryan Lowe, the club got promoted. They, they went through... Um, you know, in second in the end, they looked like they were going to win the league. Ended up going up in, in second, playing some amazing football. I mean, we had Ryan in, and he was talking about the fact that they were top scorers in the whole four divisions, and it was all it was all kind of looking so rosy. It was it must have been a, a kind of a fun time to be a, to be a Betty fan for a while last season. Yeah, there was always a there was always a sense that this was uh, slightly detached from the reality of you know, or the other reality in the club. It was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde feeling um obviously the links between i think ryan and jürgen klopp have got good friendship actually when i when i've had lunch with ryan he talks very positively about how uh klopp has been a kind of mentor of his and obviously you you um liverpool played uh, uh very pre-season yeah. last year um and so the links between the clubs are, are, are strong um uh, there, but there was always just a sense of okay well we're about to be promoted sort of the best of times the worst of times which are referred to as being promoted and demoted, and distinction follows extinction. Um, it's followed by extinction. So we, we, you know, ultimately, I think most of the club, including myself, would have taken 
um, staying in, in League Two and uh, staying alive than getting up into League One and not starting the season. But as I have also said in my dispatches and the public uh, meetings that I've addressed sort of three, four hundred uh, fans at, we've got to also be proud of what we've achieved. We've got to talk up the prospects of owning this club. It's a brilliant town. It's a terrific league. Um, you know, we're a League One club in, in very as part of Greater Manchester. Terrific prospects, great fans, great history. Um, we would, we are a really uh, sort of viable, attractive prospect for an owner that's heart and head is in the right place. Um, we don't have that at the moment, but I, I really hope that these efforts um, that, w- that we're all involved with uh, come come good. But the, the, the argument I made to the EFL is that none of that matters if we simply run out of rope. You know, if we if the road runs out. Uh, uh, the similarities between Brexit are pretty pretty horrific as well. The, you know, we, the do or die attitude is not something I subscribe to. We need time for this to be facilitated, and that is why the the call to the EFL yesterday on, on in my letter is to buy buy more time and outline the case uh, for that. Just before you go, James, what's the what's the sort of best route out of this in terms of, you know, hopefully, you know, you get the extension that you've asked for and, and how is this matter resolved? Because obviously, I mean, I gather Steve Dale's refusing to go in, into any meetings at the moment. Obviously, the players haven't been paid as well. So so how do we sort of, you know, what what's the, what's the path out of this, do you think? So, I mean, the EFL tell me all the time that their job is to protect the interests of all their members. Well, there's no better example of when you absolutely need to be uh, to stand by that uh, principle when one of your members actually is facing extinction. Um, so I would expect the EFL to chair uh, or broker some uh, conversations or discussions or meetings with prospective owner and the current owner, or at the very least, at the very latest, be. Uh, at the very least, sorry, be um, available to to speak to all parties and and try and negotiate that or, or broker that. I myself have offered that uh, as an independent um, voice on on behalf of the fans uh, to broker that either in my constituency offices or in Westminster. Um, but look, you asked a question about where does this where does best best case scenario? Best case scenario is that we start League One season as soon as physically possible um, and uh, under under new ownership. Um, with a proof of funds test done, with a kind of due diligence plus administered, because the EFL will be um, uh, kind of have added zeal to their fit and proper person test now, no doubt, and be seen to and we want to be seen to be doing that, and and we crack on and we put this this history to bed, uh, this this bad poor recent history to bed, and we crack on with the promotion to League One and and, and try and make up for the fact that we're 12 points down without a game played. Huge thanks to James for joining us. Um, if you want to go on James's Twitter and, and follow this more closely, it's James Frith MP. Obviously, he's MP for Berry North. Um, and I'd like to thank him a lot for joining us and, and educating us all about uh, what's going on at Berry. And we all have our fingers crossed uh, for a positive solution. So thanks very much, James. And now joined yet again, although the first time this season, from an old friend there, uh, James Richards, who's from the D3, D4 Football Podcast. Uh, do check them out. Um, and James, as, as I mentioned to you uh, just briefly, before we before we started recording, this is a bit of a sort of clubbing crisis special. Obviously, there's the situation going on with Berry, who haven't been able to play a, a game this season yet, and 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 Bolton Wanderers, who who won't be able to fill their next fixture. And it's, I mean, it's sad. First of all, isn't it that these two great Northwest kind of football clubs uh, are in so much trouble? And it just seems to be that there's always someone, and there's always you know a club, and it might be 
you know, one in the northwest, and then it's and then it's one in the southeast or whatever that, that seem to be always so close to kind of you know the edge, really. It's a sign of of the way football's gone financially, I'm afraid. And there are there are two sort of sides to this coin. There is, of course, the fact that the money at the top has become so distri- disproportionately bigger than the money at the bottom. Uh, and there's also the fact that there's not a good regulatory process at the moment to stop owners without financial sense running clubs into the ground. And so, you know, with, with both these sides, Berry and, and Bolton, it's basically, I mean, lack of due diligence from uh, from the EFL in terms of looking at the owners who are currently in charge. Also lack of uh, due diligence about letting the previous owners, um, in Berry's case especially, spend far more money and uh, loan bring in loans and mortgage the club up to the hills and it's it's left this massive problem um you know you, your listeners will support a club like liverpool who've spent a huge amount of money uh, over the last few seasons on on transfers also pay massive wages there's nothing wrong with that essentially but what you do need to look at is how the money in football is distributed through the pyramid because england is very unique um in the way that we have the sort of four professional leagues almost four and a half now so and we have to protect that and the only way to protect that is by having a better distribution of wealth that comes in at the top going all the way down now i'm not ever advocating that premier league clubs should bail out badly run lower league clubs it, yeah. it's it's not the case at all but what you need to look at is the fact that at the early point of the 90s when i was watching football um clubs that hadn't got particularly big fan bases were still able to punch well above their weight due to the fact that they could employ players on reasonable wages who had probably not quite made it at the top level um, from reserve sides in the Premier League, for example. Those options have gone because the players who don't play regularly in the Premier League, who sit in the reserves, are often on astronomical sums of money each week, which means wage inflation, of course, has increased as it goes down the league. So, you know, a player who used to get paid 50,000 a year to play in the fourth tier may want to come there and get three times as much now. And it's not sustainable, but fan bases and clubs are always wanting to please their their crowds. I mean, they rely on crowds, therefore they rely on good performances, and therefore they they feel the need to spend more money often than they can afford to do so. So it's a bit of a vicious cycle, but it, like you say, it's it's deeply saddening to see these two great clubs currently in crisis. And uh, I hope something gets sorted, but it, it is looking, um, in Barry's case especially, pretty bleak. And it's it's also not great for the division. I mean, these are two clubs in League One who can't fulfil the fixtures, and I know, you know, the, the the most important thing is 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 the is their survival, and, and we all hope that you know we we come through the kind of the other side on that. But you know, it's 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 also kind of not great for the league in terms of you know there's we're, we're fixtures behind already, and I know the the Accrington chairman spoke out in frustration the fact that you know that they they have a sort of game down that they'll have to reschedule and they don't know when and it just it just doesn't doesn't really kind of help in terms of a functioning league either does it it does um bring into question the integrity of the competition really i mean as well as andy holt um was saying there about his fixture i mean he's lost as well a saturday fixture and he's now going to have it replayed on a tuesday night which financially for his club yeah um it's impacting him and it shouldn't because of course he runs the club brilliantly i mean he is the he's the model of of how a football club should should be run he's very transparent he fights for uh he fights for the the rights of low league clubs to get better deals better money from the uh, the tv deals that are going on in the premier league i mean i think the big bugbear for a lot of fans is the fact that the the foreign income money has 
has only gone to the majority of that has gone to the top six clubs and they're already wealthy enough and I think it would be far better you know if some more money is is distributed down to grassroots level it doesn't have to go maybe to the to professional leagues but grassroots level just to improve football as a whole but your point about the the league it, it's it's hugely frustrating because of course how can you can how can you carry on cancelling fixtures each week um it's it's calling into disrepute dispro- um the competition and i have to say that i do feel for the clubs who are having their fixtures cancelled as well because it's not good for them in the long run either on a, on a kind of a positive note, if you like, there are examples in League One of how you can come out the other side in a positive way. And the most obvious one's Blackpool, who, you know, the fans have been through the, through the mill and they've fought for the future of the football club. And now they're sitting three wins out of three, uh, second in the in the League One, only behind Lincoln on goal difference. And, you know, it must be a lot of fun on the seaside there at the moment. Well, I was actually there on Saturday. Oh, well. Oxford. Yeah, I went there to watch Oxford play him. Um, uh, I have to say, they were very, very fortunate to get the win. Uh, it was a fantastic game of football, though. Simon Grayson does set his sides up with uh, their big guys. They're powerful, not not too bad on the ball either, but very well organised, defensively excellent. And uh, the the fan, the atmosphere in that ground was brilliant. It's um, we were we were actually housed on the side of the pitch. Such was the the away crowd. We had nine hundred Ox fans going up there. That's incredible. But you had, I think, a crowd of around eleven or twelve thousand in total. I mean. You like you say, coming out the other side just a short while ago, they were struggling to get two, two to three, four thousand in there. So, um, and they've now got a local businessman in involved who is going to take the club forward. Um, they've got rid of the Oystons, who again, you know, are unscrupulous owners who took money out of the club for their own benefit, um, and they shouldn't have been allowed to do it. And there needs to be, I think, some sort of um, categorization of clubs as something other than just businesses, because they're more than businesses. Football clubs are something closer akin to charities because of the impact they have on their communities and therefore that I think they need to have a special uh, sort of category in legislation that means that they get protection from um, sort of unscrupulous characters and businessmen coming in to run them because at the end of the day if you lose a club like Berry, it's it's drastic for the community and it, you know I wholeheartedly hope that the situation changes and your example of Blackpool i I love it up there. It was a, a brilliant, vibrant atmosphere. Fans enjoying their football again. And you can just see how much it meant to them to have their club back. No, absolutely. Um, Coventry are towards the top of the league as well, but are in a, in a kind of a, this ongoing situation with, with the stadium. I mean, it doesn't seem to be affecting them kind of too much. I mean, I guess they're used to it, which is which is the kind of sad thing, really. They've been, they've been here, there and everywhere over the last few years. Yeah, and also they have a manager, Mark Robbins, who's extremely good. He's very focused doesn't let his players worry about um, anything going on off the field. And you need that sort of um, single-mindedness as a, as, a, as a coach when you're at a club like Coventry because, you know, he, he'll just say we're playing at a at a different venue, but it's still football and it's still the same game, the same rules, and we've got to try and win these matches. And they've done very well on that. But again, like I said, it's about owners coming in who, I mean, this hedge fund that came in to buy Coventry, their sole aim was to get them back into the Premier League very, very quickly so that they could obviously reap the rewards of having a Premier League cash flow. Now, when they failed to do that, um, they started looking at how they could get away with paying much less rent on the ground, which was built in agreement with the council as to how Coventry would would play there going forward. So they started to put in all silly demands and and, uh, take people to court and try and get the ground um, 
the people running the ground to go bankrupt. I mean, it was a, it's a ridiculous situation, which has been completely made, I think, in fairness, by the, the Coventry owners. You you can't blame the council for selling the ground when the club have said that they, they're not willing to pay the rent on it, which was agreed prior. It's not the council's fault that Coventry didn't put together a football team at that time that was good enough to play in the top flight. Um, but again, you know, who suffers? It's the fans. And it, yet again, they have to make the trek to Birmingham to watch their team, which is ridiculous because if you've been to the Rico, it's a fantastic yeah. arena, perfectly designed for and, and was indeed built and designed for Coventry City Football Club. And just a little look at League Two, um, it's a little bit more bunched there at the moment, um, no team's kind of flying away with it. I just wanted to quickly mention Plymouth, who've, who've taken on Ryan Lowe, which just seems to me to be a, a very shrewd move. Obviously, Ryan Lowe is someone who went up with Betty, and it, it's sad that he, he, he feels he, he had to leave because you know he's, he's a legend at that football club, they absolutely love him for what he did as, as a player and then a manager, but you know their loss is, is very much Plymouth's gain. I know they got beat last time out against Newport, who were unbeaten as well, but he's someone who who just feels like he's brought so much energy to the to the to the football club and to the town already? Yeah, he's a he's he's got a lovely uh, way of setting his teams up, and um, fans appreciate it. You know, you're not going to win every game because you you do tend to concede more when you play with his openness and attacking style. He's brought some very good players from that Berry uh, promotion team with him, and Plymouth is a you know it's a pretty unique place. It's it's right down sort of in the in the West Country. It's got a very dedicated fan base that travel in, in massive numbers considering the distances they have to go. And yeah, I think they're really enjoying their football. I mean, he's got um, a squad capable of winning promotion. I think he's got a style that is very difficult to stop. Um, if, you, if you're playing against a team like Barry last season, you knew what they're going to do, but trying to stop them was, was another thing. And they've also got Danny Mayer, who is part of that Barry side in there. And he is probably, I would say, technically one of the best players in the fourth tier. Surprised he actually dropped down, but I think um, Ryan Lowe did an excellent job of persuading him to go there because he could have obviously gone to the likes of Ipswich and uh, and other clubs in League One who he was speaking to. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think Plymouth have, have been very shrewd getting Ryan Lowe in, and I expect them to be probably right up in towards the automatics at the end of the season. OK, um, just before you go, James, anything else that we need to be sort of keeping an eye out for? I know it's early days at the moment, in the uh, obviously in the Football League. Well, obviously, you've mentioned Lincoln. What a fantastic start to third-tier life they've had. Not yeah. not conceded a goal yet. Um, obviously, Sol Campbell leaving um, Macclesfield. Which is a which, shame, because he was doing a good job there, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, again, though, I know a lot of the footballers at Macclesfield on a personal level and uh, what they were put through regarding wages. Again, another club in crisis, another club that's kind of... Because they're not quite such a crisis club as others, they're not getting the attention at the moment. But actually, you know, not paying your players for three months is pretty serious and it's led to a lot of them uh, I think they they think they finally got their wages now from from the end of last season but I, the fact they got away with it um, I was very surprised at and I think maybe that possibly play, played into Sol Campbell's um, decision in leaving I mean I don't know that for a fact the other thing is as well he, he takes huge credit for achieving what he did when there was such off the field issues going on so he deserves I think a shot at at managing a club with much more uh, stability in the background because I think he'll do a good job. I agree. Um, huge thanks to James, as ever, for joining us. It's at the free D4 Football. If you want to check them out on Twitter, obviously they've got a brand new podcast out from the weekend as well, so do check that as well. out. Check out that as well. Uh, that was easy for me to say. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks to James and, of course, all of our callers uh, for joining us. Uh, we'll be back with another lower league soon. 
Sports Social Podcast Network.